today we finished our last uh, sermon in our Sojourn Essential series. We've been talking about for the last several weeks why we exist as a church and what we prioritize. I encourage you guys, if you've missing those, you're interested, they're all online for you guys to listen to. But hopefully you've seen the progression, right? That we exist to, to glorify God. That's why we exist as a church. And God has given us this great commission to go make disciples of all nations. We see that in, in kind of two ways. That we, we want to evangelize the lost and equip the saints, believers, for works of ministry. Uh, from that, if we, if we prioritize that great mission, then we have to care about the Scripture, the Bible. It's got to inform and instruct all that we do. This is God's Word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's authoritative over us, His church. And if we care about the Bible, we have to care about the Gospel. This is the central message of the Scripture. That Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. If we care about the gospel, we're going to care about community. We spent the last few weeks talking about community and how we prioritize and why we prioritize community. And if we prioritize the gospel and the Bible and community, we have to prioritize mission. And that will be our last priority that we'll speak about today. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 20. It's kind of John's version of the Great Commission. Uh, we covered the Great Commission the first week in Sojourn Essentials. This is John's version. I love the Gospel of John, so I chose to use his commission this time for us. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, and if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. This is the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray together with me? Father, we, we turn our eyes to you. We need you. We're looking to you to, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. That's why we open up your word. That's why we read it. We're looking to you to sustain us, to keep us moving, to fuel us forward. We're looking to you to continue to preserve us. We're looking to you to send us out. So Father, this morning, may we have open hearts, open eyes to see how you would command. And may we, as your church, gather together. May we respond. Submit and glory in your great name. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. When we speak about mission, hopefully a lot of like many inspirational stories of, of mission come to mind. There are a lot of really good ones out there. So you think of, of maybe Jim Elliott and, and his band of, of people that went out into Ecuador, went out to this, this tribe that had never been reached, a tribe that's known to be very violent, and, and go out there and, and ultimately die to see their, their, their wives and other women go into this village and, and speak the gospel into their lives and a great movement of God work there. You, you might think of the great missionaries like William Carey, who's this mo uh, father of modern missions, who started this great mission movement as he goes to India and spends his life there for those people, you might think of Adoniram Judson, kind of the, the, the Baptist missionary who, who goes to Burma, who loses family members all around and goes through great struggle just to get them the gospel. You might think of people like George Whitfield who came to the Americas and, and was preaching the gospel with, with great fervor and many people responded. You might think of a lot of different really great stories, but I want you to know that I think that there should be one great missionary story that stands above all those missionary stories, as great as they are. And that is this missionary story of this father who loves this world so much that he's willing to send his son. And this son loves this world as, as, as equal as the father, as he's one with the father, wants to go after this world so that he can rescue it. So he dives down into the darkness in order to rescue the people that are enslaved by that darkness. Of course, this is the story of the Scripture. This is the story of our God, who would send His Son, Jesus Christ, who would not just be the great missionary, but would stand as the great example of any other missionary in the world. He is the shining example that should stand above all, who sacrificed, laid aside His home with the Father, to be forsaken, to be a man of sorrows so that he could rescue people from their sins. And we want to pattern our mission and our priority and mission after this great missionary 
We have seen in John that He commissions us in the same way. He says to those, As the Father sent Me, so I send you. He says that as one who extends peace. And so we, as disciples, as, as those who have been granted peace with God through Jesus Christ, are sent as Jesus was sent. Jesus sends His disciples. But it is important to notice but that before He sends them, He extends peace to them. So when we're in John chapter 20, let's think about the context here we are in John. Mary had, had been at the tomb. Jesus had, had been crucified. The one that all these people had been following. He, he was crucified. Put to death. Laid in a tomb that was borrowed. Someone else kind of bought his way to that tomb. Put him in there. Mary and some others go to this tomb to give him some, some oil. So to make him smell a little better in death. To kind of properly give him the burial that he deserves. And as they go, they see that... that He's no longer there. That the tomb had been opened. That the rock had been rolled away. And that Jesus is no longer there. So they go. They, they tell the news to the disciples. In the Gospel of John, we see John and Peter go to this tomb. Peter is a little bit slower than John. So John gets there in front of it. He looks in. And he sees it just as Mary described. There's, there's no one there. The rock has been moved away. And, and the, the, there's folded cloths inside this grave. It doesn't look like it had been rotten. It looks like it's very orderly and neat. So they go and they, they tell these disciples kind of what they've seen and heard. And then we, we kind of pick up in John chapter 20 in, in our verses. We have this strange news going around. Mary's seen it. John and Peter have seen it. That, that this tomb is empty. Even though Jesus was dead and laid in that tomb, it's, it's now empty. And so we pick up in John, 19, 20, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day... The first day of the week, that would have been a Sunday. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, let's just think about this for just a second. There's strange news going that Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. And yet this strange news brings them no comfort whatsoever. They're fearful. They're behind closed doors, locked doors, it said. Very specific that these doors aren't just closed. They are locked doors. Now the news that Jesus wasn't in the tomb was from reliable sources. And here's the disciples hearing from Mary, one that would have been with them several times, one that they know well. And even John and Peter are pillars of these apostles. And yet that news that came from them did not bring them any sort of hope. But they're still sitting in fear. Now I think that we should say that their fear is pretty understandable. That the one that they've been following for a couple years at least of their lives, that given everything for following him around, receiving his teaching, trying to put it into practice, that guy was crucified. Which is to say that he was an enemy of the state. He was a, a priority target that they took out. So all of his band of followers is a little bit nervous about what their outcome might be as well after following this guy. So in their fear, they're, they're somewhat paralyzed and they're somewhat idle and they're behind locked doors. And in their fears, look what happens. Jesus appears to them. It says, Jesus came and stood among them. And he says to them, Peace be with you. Now the last they'd heard of Jesus, last they'd known about where he was, was he was laid down in a tomb. And here we see at the end of verse 19 that Jesus is no longer laying in a tomb, but he is standing among them. Jesus comes and stands among them as one who is living. After being dead, after being laid down in a tomb, Jesus stands living among them. He stands resurrected after being through death. And Jesus extends His peace out to them. Now that may not sound like a big deal. This is the Prince of Peace after all, right? What big deal is it that He says, peace be with you? But it is a big deal that He says this. Now in one sense, this would have been the normal greeting, the kind of shalom. Peace be with you, disciples. And they need to hear this. They're, they're fearful and a guy just coming through locked doors. We're not sure how he got in. He just did. He just appears. That would kind of bring a little bit more fear to people that are already fearful. And so in one sense they needed a normal greeting to kind of calm them down. But they're fearful for a good reason when they see Jesus as well. The last day it's responded to Jesus. If you remember in other, other Gospels that these disciples didn't stick with Jesus to the end. They actually, most of them flee, fled. They were gone. Jesus get arrested and most of them take off running and hide. Only a few of them even remained around him to see kind of what was going to happen to Jesus. They were fearful. They had failed Jesus. They had abandoned him. And so the sight of Jesus doesn't bring them great comfort initially. So they need a normal greeting. Peter especially, think of him. He did follow Jesus for a while, but he denied him. 
So you can see the fear that they would have. But I think that there's more going on here than just the just the, the normal shalom greeting to them. The repetition of it in verse 21 kind of hints that something bigger is being extended to them. Some kind of different piece, a greater piece is being extended out to them by Jesus. This isn't just the normal greeting. It goes beyond that. It's a greater piece. The peace that they now have with God Himself. This is what's being extended out to them by Jesus. And this is the peace that they really needed. Not just a normal greeting, not just that we're okay, just to go. They need peace with God. They need this extension of peace with the Holy God. See, this isn't just peace among friends. This isn't just they failed a friend and now they're given peace. This is they have failed a holy God. They are sinful. They can do nothing to get peace on their own, and yet it is still being extended out to them. The, the peace they need is the peace between sinners and the risen Christ. And this is the peace that we need as well. The Bible is really, really clear. That we're not a neutral party with God. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, where you come in here today, you are not a neutral party. You are, the Bible says, if, if you have not trusted in Christ, you are called an enemy of God. We've all been there. We're enemies of God, it says. No one seeks after Him. No one fears Him. No one submits to Him. They suppress the truth. This is how we are with God. This is not a good relationship. We need peace with God. We're not neutral. We're part of this rebel coalition against God. Is more of the biblical picture. And the problem is, is that God isn't the problem. That He hasn't sinned against us. That there's not something that He needs to take care of on His end. The problem's all on our end. And so we can't come to Him and offer Him peace because we're not the offended party. God is the offended party. And so the enmity remains between us until God does something about it. Only God can offer the peace. Only God can extend that out to sinners. He is holy. We are sinful. He is in the right. We are enemies of Him. And Jesus does exactly that. Extends out to disciples, extends out to sinners, extends out to us peace with God. Not just a normal friend, failure peace, but peace between a holy God and sinful creatures. This is the peace that Jesus extends out to these disciples. And He does it saying this. He said this. He showed them His hands, verse 20, in His side. And His disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So He shows them His hands. He shows them His side. He kind of bears the scars. These are His credentials, as it were, for offering them peace, for extending out to them the peace that only comes from God. It's His, it's his scars. Of course, that was a great reminder to them of His, of his death. This death on a cross, this crucifixion that He had to endure to extend out that peace. And so it's doing a couple things. It's, it's reminding them that, one, this is Jesus. He is bodily. He is raised bodily from the dead. That this is the one who did go to the cross. He did die. See his scars. But that he is with them. He has raised. So he is, he is there. These are, this is tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Tangible evidence of Jesus' death. And he extends them out to him as credentials for offering them peace. And they are the very reason that Jesus can offer peace. He demonstrates, the Bible says, his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies. We were still sinners. Christ loved enough to extend out to us peace, but it had to come at a cost. See, reconciliation with God is available, but it's only available through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The only reason peace can be extended is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The enmity between God and sinners cannot just be forgotten. They can't just wipe it off and say, well, let's just forget about that whole thing. About being enemies, we'll just be friends now. It cannot be forgotten. Not if God is to be God. Not if God is to be holy. And we want Him to be all those things. So it can't just be written off. There's a sacrifice that is needed. A sacrifice is necessary. Blood must be spilled in order for peace to be extended. Amen. John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time. He says to him, says of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's this lamb. He's pictured as a lamb who would be a sacrifice, who would be without blemish, would offer himself up to be slain so that he could take away the sin of the world. Colossians chapter 2.14 says that there's this record of debt that stood against us and that Jesus took it away. He, he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. See, these scars matter. 
When Jesus comes and shows them, shows them His side, He shows them the scars on His hand, like these matter. And we have to see that we, we need to tie the peace that He's offering here to the, to the phrase, it is finished, that He's proclaiming on the cross. Those have to be tied together. There's no peace be with you if there's not, it is finished from the cross. And yet in Jesus, that's what we have, right? We have both of those. It is finished and peace be with you. Now there are a lot of ways that people seek to have peace with God. But one of the main ones that we like to go to is called performance. Where we feel like in some way, I can do the right thing. That I do good enough. Or if I just find a religion and I give myself to it totally, if I just give everything I have there, I'm the most religious person, no matter what it is, then that will gain me peace with God. Or if I perform well enough in my life, maybe I'm not into religion, but I'm not nasty to people, I'm not trying to be hateful to people. If I just perform pretty well, I'm trying to help people, then I can reach God. But let's just pretend for a second that you, you have perfect performance from here on out. The reality still remains that performance could never pay for sin. Performance could never make up for the sin of the past, the sins of your heart. It does not make payment for anything. That is just a scenario that's not real because we will never fully perform as we ought to. We're sinful and we're broken. Performance can't pay for sin and it can't work in the end. Hebrews is really clear about this. It says in Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood... There's no forgiveness of sins. In other words, the Bible is really clear. It's clear from the Old Testament on there has to be blood. Because there is sin, there must be blood. There must be life. There must be sacrifice that is, that is given for sin. There will be no peace with God unless something is done with our sin. And this comes to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. That through His scars, through His wounds, we are healed. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So the question is, do we know the peace that God extends out to us? Not just peace on earth where we feel like things are in harmony, but we're talking about peace with God. The harmony that could exist between a sinful human being and a holy God. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know that peace, we would, along with Paul, implore you on behalf of God to be reconciled to God. Believe, John would say. Believe in Jesus. But look how the disciples respond to this peace that's extended to them. He shows them his hands and his side and the disciples. What did they do? They were glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad when they saw the Lord. There could have been a lot of expressions that they could have given there. Still really scared. We kind of failed you at the end. What are you going to think of us as your disciples? We've kind of blown it. Over and over again we've kind of blown it. Here you are just appearing through locked doors. That's kind of creepy. Could have been a little bit more fear going on there. But it says when they, when they see His side, when they see His hands, they're, they're glad. And I think glad maybe not captures it well in English because there's, there's this rejoicing that's going on. There's great joy in them because of this risen Christ. Their Master has gone to the grave and come back. And now there's great joy in them. Now this is as Jesus promised in chapter 16. Jesus said to them, you're going to have sorrow, but your sorrow is going to turn into joy. And here Jesus delivers on His promise. They had great sorrow. They had great fear. And all those things are being transformed. The very thing that brought them sorrow, the arrest and death of Jesus, is the very thing that is now bringing them great joy to where they can look at Him and rejoice in Him. Jesus is fulfilling His promises that He gave just days before to these disciples. And just like those disciples... Jesus extends out to us through His death peace. And we are to receive it and let it be pure joy to us. See, there can be chaos in life. And there's a lot of it. You guys are like, yes, chaos everywhere. There can be strife and drama and constant things warring in our minds. There can be actual war, physical war all around us. And yet we can have peace. But this is only possible because we have peace, not with the things of this earth necessarily, but peace with the one who owns this earth, and that would be with God Himself. And because we have that peace, no matter what is going on around us, we can have deep joy. The disciples aren't out of their troubles. 
Their master has still been crucified. They still have a long road to go if they're going to even stay alive. I'm sure there's great fear still in their midst, but there's also great joy that is starting to change their lives. Jesus, He emphasizes this peace once again with His disciples, and He presses it deeper into them in verse 21. He says, Then peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus doesn't just extend peace, although you need this peace before we get to the next part. He doesn't just extend peace, He also commissions. He didn't just say, like, you're at peace, or just, we'll call it good here, you guys just hang out, you've kind of failed, you're not really ready to move on yet, just, just stay here and be at peace. No, He commissions them. He sends them out, and He does it specifically. He doesn't just say, just go out however you want. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So the question is, how did the Father send the Son? Well, the Father sent the Son as this perfect embodiment of who He is. This perfect representative of God in flesh. That's how the Father sent the Son. He sent Him to carry out His mission. Jesus says in the the book of John that it was my bread, it was my life to kind of do the will of the Father. This is what He wanted to do, came to do the will of the Father. And so I kind of thought about the mission, how God sent the Son in, in three ways. We talked about the where, the what, and the how. So where did the Father send the Son? And John is really clear, John 3.16, hopefully you know well that, that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He sent Him to the world. And the world in John is not just neutral humanity. The world is sinful humanity, broken, under the fall, enemies of God. This is where Jesus goes. John says in 3.19, turn there real quick. John says that He sent Him not just into the world, but He went into darkness as it were. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So Jesus goes into the world, sinful humanity and rebellion to Him. He goes into the darkness where there's no light. He goes into death as it were, where there's only perishing. And He brings life. In John chapter 1, verse 4, great verse, that in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus goes into the death. Goes into the darkness. Goes into the world. But what does He do then? What is He sent to do? He's sent to do the Father's will. He says, this is my bread. That I do what the Father has given me to do. That I obey Him perfectly. That I do His will. In John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist calls Him the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. In John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He came to take away sin. He came to save the world. He came to be light in the darkness, the light of the world, that anyone following Him would have no darkness in anymore. He came to be life where there is only death. So He comes to the world and He comes to save the world, but how is He doing this? How is He going to save the world? Now it's interesting here, God has you know, like infinite resources, infinite amount of wisdom and plans. He could have written it in the sky. He could have given us a movie that everyone would absolutely believe in and follow. He doesn't do that. How does He do it? John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. Here's how the Son was sent into the world. It says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He took on flesh. This is God. God who is receiving the honor and glory to His name with Himself in eternity past, entering into time-space history to a people that rebelled against Him, had rejected Him. He enters into that world to save them by taking on flesh. He didn't just appear as a human. He was human. He, he incarnates. He enters in to humanity. He draws near to humanity by becoming one of them. And He is the one who comes near by flesh. We know that this involved great sacrifice, even sacrifice on a cross. But this is the how He draws near. And so when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, these are some of the categories that we need to have in mind. That this is how Jesus sends His disciples. This is how the mission continues. As Jesus was on that mission, He sends His disciples likewise. They are to now take up His mission as it were. That His mission continues in them. 
that the disciples of Jesus Christ are now the ones who are on the mission. So how are fearful and, and weak and marginalized little disciples going to carry this out? How are they going to do this? And this mission is made possible over and over again in the Scripture by encountering Christ. By encountering God. He shows up to them and then He sends them. He extends peace to them and then He sends them. We see this over and over in the Scripture. Abraham. God is giving Abraham this great promise. He's to carry out a mission. He is blessing Abraham to be a blessing. Well, how is Abraham going to do that? He doesn't even have any offspring. He has this encounter with God. He sees God. God makes this promise to him. And as a result of being blessed by God, he goes out to be a blessing. Isaiah sees this vision. He, he sees God on the throne. And he wants to die. He wants to get away from there. But God has a task for him. After seeing God, he says, who, who will go for me? Who shall I send? And it's as if Isaiah is saying, I don't even care what you say now. Whatever the task, I'm willing to do it based on this encounter that I've had with you. And indeed, Isaiah can send it to a people that won't hear. A people that won't see. People that are stubborn and that basically he's going on a, on a failure mission. And Isaiah doesn't care at all. I've seen the Lord seated on the throne. And after this encounter, and after the extension of peace from Jesus, I think these disciples would say the same exact thing. Jesus could have said anything. He could have asked anything of them. Why? Because once you've seen the risen Christ, once you know that, once He's extended peace out of you, nothing is too much anymore. There's no cost too great after seeing Him and receiving peace from God. He could ask us to do anything. He could send us anywhere and we'd be willing to do it because we have peace with God. The love of Christ is ours. They were an enemy to Him. They had abandoned Him. And He comes and says, peace, we have that love. No task is too small now. There's no place we won't go. There's no place that we won't go because we're too scared, we're too fearful because we've seen God. We would say along with these disciples and hopefully along with Isaiah that here am I, send me. No matter the cost. And so I think that the question becomes less about how we can go, how we can carry out this mission, and more about how can we not after we've had this revelation from Jesus. Amen. And the reality is, is that you're, you're thinking, well, I would, I would like to see him like Abraham. I would, I would like to see him like Isaiah, see him on the throne. And then, and then, the reality is that God is showing us Himself in the Scripture. That in this very passage we are seeing Him. We are knowing Him. We are hearing Him. And He is saying out to us that peace be with you. He is saying out to us that as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And so the question is, are, are you listening? Are you submitting to Him? Are you, do you see this peace? Are you receiving this peace? Are you believing in Him? And if so, then you can know that you are too sins. Your sins. God always pulls in His own and He always sends them out. It always goes this way. He pulls them in to send them out. He loves them, He gives them peace and He sends them out. And this sending was not just for those disciples. Not just for those special apostles, those guys that Jesus had. Jesus doesn't extend peace out to us without also sending us. And this is a gracious sending. He is sending not just these first disciples. If he were to do that, then the, the mission would die pretty soon, right? They just were to go out for the mission during their generation, then pretty soon it would be gone. This is a mission. As he is sent, he is sending us, he is sending us even today. This can carry on through Jesus' disciples everywhere today. And I want to say that I think that when we talk about mission and being missionaries, that this is first of all who we are before it is what we do. That is to say, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Him, you are a missionary. You are sent. There is no, this is something I do. This is who you are. If you have peace with God, you have also been sent by God. We are missionaries. We are witnesses. We are sent. See, God's plan to save, 
God's plan to redeem, God's plan to reach the nations, God's plan to make disciples, that plan is His people. That's what He's using. It's His people. As He sent me, so I'm sending you. That's the mission now. It's going forward through you, through my disciples. We are the plan. We as the church are the plan. This isn't just a solo mission. God doesn't just send one person out being this strong, great missionary. That has happened. But that's not the norm. The norm is community on mission. We, the church, we are the plan to reach the world. This is what Jesus is giving us here. I like what one author said when he says, The church is God's mission strategy. There's no other strategy we can do. We are the strategy. He brings His people together, He forms them by the gospel, and He fuels them with this this same gospel, and sends them out saying, you're the strategy. Another author says this, the church does not simply have a missions department, it should wholly exist to be a mission. We don't have a missions department. We are all missions. Every part of it is mission. If you go to a church that doesn't prioritize mission, then leave that church, it might not be a real church. Another author said, together, the church is God's missionary to the world. There's no backup plan either. It's not like, well, if they fail me, no, Jesus has promised, we'll see this later, that he, he will give us what we need to not fail in His mission. This is not a plan for a few rock star Christians to carry this out. That seems like the case so often, that, that we send out the rock star Christians and the rest of us just kind of do normal stuff. That's not the plan. The plan is for ordinary folks, ordinary people, people from Eden, people from Sojourn, all of us, to be on mission together. We're the mission plan, together. But the ordinary and the ordinary things in life, that's the mission, that's the plan. Now think about the church in Antioch. We see this in Acts chapter 11. There's this church in Antioch. Does anybody know who planted it? Where did it come from? Who started it? Well, let's see what Acts has to say. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, Stephen was this man of God, boldly proclaims the the gospel, and he gets stoned for it. He's he's killed, and because of this, there's more and more persecution at the hands of a guy named Saul. He's a big part of that. They get scattered. They go all over the place. So what are they doing? They go all over the place as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, Speaking the word to no one except Jews, but then they continue to preach it to others. You're looking down 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of those who believed turned to the Lord. They would say later that in Antioch, the people were first called Christians. That's where it came from. This is a church that was started by, we don't know, these Christians. These disciples that were spread by persecution start proclaiming the word of God everywhere they go. And one of these places is Antioch. And they believe. And there's a church started there by by nobodies. By the ordinary people. They weren't the apostles establishing the church. That comes a little bit later. They were just ordinary folks just with the gospel. They were sent. God had sent them. And we see this is the same church that if you look in Acts 13... Paul goes to with Barnabas after he's converted. He pours into them for a long time. And this is the church that then sends Paul out. So Paul, whose whole mission is to go out planting churches, is sent out by a church that was planted by nobodies. This is the mission of God. Mission is not for the rock stars. It's not just for the Pauls of the world. It is for everybody who would call the name of Christ. It's for the regulars. It's for you. It's for me. As Jesus was sent, so we are sent. That is to say that we are sent to the same place. We are sent into the world, into the darkness, into the death. The gospel moves us outward. And if the gospel isn't moving us outward, then there's something wrong with the gospel that we're believing. Or that is maybe even our belief in it, whether we actually trust it or not. The gospel will always move us outward. It is good news. News is meant to be shared. Always. Good news amplified. To the ends of the earth, this news needs to go out. And so we need to start thinking, how can we do this in the world? We don't need to think just necessarily for, let's think right here in our congregation. Are there unbelievers here? Are there people that don't know Christ here? Let's think about that and let's go on mission there. Are there people in the place where we live? Neighbors, perhaps. Or maybe it's your family members. 
Those who are around you are the people that don't know Christ there. You're sent. What about where you work? There are any unbelievers there? Start to get to know these people. Love on them. What about what you like to do? Would you like to play? Where you like to go have fun? Start to know people there. Get to know some unbelievers there. Look for places that need restoration, that are broken, that need people to come in and show love. This is, this is our mission. This is one of the places we think of to be sick. We are sent into the world, into the darkness. We're not breaking ourselves off and saying, this is our Christian group. Don't come in here. We're not trying to huddle up and, and just be kind of this, this blocked off, gated community. No, we're to be in the world. As Jesus was sent into the world, we are sent into the world. And so my encouragement would you pick a person from one of those areas that you know doesn't know Christ and just start praying for them daily. Start asking God for opportunities to share the good news, to share the hope that you have, to share the peace that you have, that you've experienced. Well, what are you sent to do there? Well, as Jesus was sent to save the world, we're sent to, to be witnesses to the one who saves the world. To be ambassadors for Christ, to be heralds of good news. Good news is for sharing, so we're there to share it with them. So we don't just want to come and meet physical needs, although that would be good and right and helpful. But we want to make sure that part of our mission is part of Jesus' mission, that we actually proclaim the good news. That faith, we know, comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Not just by doing good deeds, it comes by hearing the actual message. So we are sent to point to the one who takes away the sin of the world. We are sent to, to point to the one who is the light of the world. We are, one, we are the ones who are sent to say that eternal life is in His name. And so we need to start thinking, how can I start to speak the gospel into those lives? Not just how can I display it, we want to do that too, but how can I declare it? There are some gospel truths that would come to bear here. But to be sent, as Jesus was sent, is to be incarnational. That is to be, for lack of a face-to-face. To be entering into others' worlds. We're not ministering from afar, we want to enter in. Now once again, that's the primary thing. It's not to say we can't send money overseas, but part of our strategy there is that we want churches there, that are the mission there. And so one of the reasons we, we do what we do with foreign mission and, and money that is given is we make sure that they're connected strongly to either organizations that are about the local church or church planning movements in and of those countries. It's important to us because we, we believe that Jesus came and met us and that we are to go and meet other people face to face, not from afar. We want to enter into others' worlds. We are to take on flesh there. And one author said this, that all authentic mission is our incarnational mission. We are called to enter other people's social and cultural reality, into their thought world, struggling to understand their misunderstandings of the gospel, and into the pain of their alienation, weeping with those who weep. And I would say here that we're not just sending out Facebook messages. I'm not saying that can't be a part of your strategy, but don't make it the only one. Don't just send messages and posts on social media. Go meet people face to face. Go be with them. Tell them about Jesus when you're looking into their eyes. Not that you shouldn't necessarily do that on social media sites or whatever, but don't make that your primary way. We need to be in the flesh. Enter into others' lives. Not just a cyber world. Meet people. Look at them. Get to know them, their hurts, their struggles, where their questions are with the gospel, and how you can enter into that in their life. See, God could have done that too, right? He could send out over the interwebs. Some message to people. He could ride it in the sky with an airplane, but he hasn't done that. He sends people. So that matters to us, that we need to be there. Thankfully, Jesus came to us, right? He entered into our darkness. He entered into our struggle. He entered into our turmoil. He came after us in the flesh. He loved us. He sacrificed for us. And this is how we go to other people. As Jesus has sent, so we are sent. And so where... Where are we being incarnational? Where are we entering into others' struggles and lives to to speak the gospel? This is how we are sent. Nothing can replace boots on the ground. There have to be troops there. And I think about diseases. it, It seems like we have so much great stuff to see what's going on inside of our body without actually being inside of our body. But still we have this limitation is that we don't know how bad stuff is until we really cut it open and get in there and get into the darkest corners. And this is what we do as believers, right? We, we, we cut it open. We, we go into the darkness. We go into the depths to see, let's see how bad it is and let's see if we can bring life. 
But soldiers on the ground are going to need supply. Now, you, you might be overwhelmed even as we talk about this. Like, can't do this. Jesus sends his disciples. He's sending us, and it seems overwhelming to us. But Jesus never sins without empowering. He never sins to the battle line without also giving a supply. So if you look in John chapter 20 again, in verse 22 he says this. When he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is a really strange picture. It may not bring you a lot of encouragement off the bat. Here's a guy who's been in the grave for a couple days. Dead man. And he comes to this room, just appears, and then he starts breathing on people. Like, this does not make me think good thing. Like, this is the creepiest picture I can almost imagine. Why is a guy who's dead start, starting to breathe on people? It's such a strange picture. And why should that bring me any sort of encouragement? How is that empowering and encouragement? How does that give me supply on the ground? But I think we need to kind of think about the picture a little bit more. Like, we need to not think just like a dead guy breathing on to, to people, which that alone would be strange. But we need to start thinking a little bit further back. Maybe in Genesis, where, where God takes dirt from the ground and He breathes life into it. And this is man, there's, there's life. It's as if almost it's the symbol of God breathing new life into these disciples. Giving them the, the sacred energy they need to, to move forward. This is a symbolic act by Jesus that's anticipating kind of the giving of the Spirit. And so it's, it's kind of confusing in John. It's like, wait, is it, did they receive the Spirit here? Did they not? What's going on here? I think that this is a, a kind of enacted parable that He is... Showing them that this is anticipating something in the future. We see that in Acts chapter 2. I don't think they get the Spirit here per se, or even part of the Spirit here, because we see them behind locked doors in the next chapter. And in Acts chapter 2, we see them anything, anywhere but in locked doors. But it's an, an acted parable. And what John is doing for us is he, he's tying closely together the death, the resurrection, and the giving of the Spirit. He's tying those together for us. That, that Jesus... His death and resurrection, they bring peace with God, and He's sending us out. And as He's sending us out, He's sending us out empowered. So as we read this, we need to think also of, of something similar, like the foot washing. He says, hey, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Like, really? If we, just washing my feet and I have no part with you? He said, yes, because He was anticipating something. He was pointing to something greater, a greater washing. Washing with the cross. He said, if you can't even be washed by, by this water with your feet, I, you're never going to have your sins washed by the cross. And it's an anticipation is what it was. And here it's kind of an anticipation of what's to come. It's pointing to something greater. Jesus is reminding them that He will not leave them as orphans. That He will fulfill the promise that He gave them a few chapters ago. That these things, the death and resurrection and giving them spirit, are tied greatly together. That they are not alone as He sends them out. It's a reminder of those things. A very tangible reminder that Jesus is with them. Mission often makes us feel so inadequate, so weak. When I think about this, I seem unprepared and fearful and nervous, and so do these disciples. And Jesus empowers. All that He asks of us, He provides for us. This is a great quote. And if you feel quite weak and ordinary, which, let's just put the weak and ordinary, like, does that sum it up for a lot of us? Like weak and ordinary, there we go. And if you feel like a mess, but have the Spirit, you have the right credentials. God's not asking for the rock stars to come and be in power. He, he wants the ordinary people that are ready to receive. The weak, the ones who feel inadequate, those are the people that are ready to receive from Christ and be sent out by Christ. So before the resurrection, the giving of the Spirit, the disciples were scared, they're timid. And we see in Acts chapter 2 kind of the fulfillment of what he's doing here. They're anything but scared and timid. They're bold. They're courageous, even to the point of death. They're willing to let their heads be removed, to let their bodies be given to, to stoning or whatever the case may be, in order to proclaim this gospel. That happens because God has given them what they need. So often I think we're, we're like these disciples. We're, we're fearful. We're behind closed and locked doors only we're we're doing that after Jesus has appeared and after He's given the Spirit. We too seem fearful, but we need to be reminded that Jesus has extended peace to us, that He's empowered us for this mission, that He sends us out. And so our role is to faithfully live this mission out, to faithfully carry it out. We're fully equipped by Christ with all that we need to carry it out. So not only does Jesus empower with the Spirit, as we see in verse 22, but He also gives Him some authority in verse 23. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The message that Jesus gives us to, to proclaim to the world is a message that has power. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message that has authority. And so, so much so that you say, if this message is truly received, then there's forgiveness extended. You don't have to say like, well, I think it would be extended. Let me check with the boss and I'll double check with you. And I'll, get, I'll try to get back with you if he, he gives me a response. I think he'd forgive you, but we'll just see. No, we don't have to check with the boss. We already have the okay. If they receive the, the true gospel, there's forgiveness of sins. This is the authority that he gives to his disciples. But those who reject the gospel, they remain in their sins. There's no forgiveness. Forgiveness is withheld. John said this in John chapter 3, verse 18. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the, the gospel. If you believe, you're, you're given eternal life. You're forgiven. And if you reject it, you, you stand condemned. Your, your sins are, no, are not forgiven. There's still enmity between you and God. There is no peace with you and God. You need to believe this message. See, the gospel has teeth. Paul says it's a, a powerful message. Power to, to save. But it also condemns those who are rejected. Verse 23 reminds us that we have authority with this very message. It doesn't come with us. It comes with the message and the one who sent us. But that this message is, is important. That it matters. And Jesus empowers us for this, but we have to remind ourselves in verse 23 that the focus is still on that mission. We are still sent. We're empowered with a message, with authority to get the message out. We're still sent. We are to go, as it were, as Jesus went to the darkest corners of the earth. But we need to be sent with the assurance that we have all that we need. Jesus promises that the very gates of hell cannot prevail against his missionary strategy. Inserted there instead of church. Right? The, the very gates of hell won't prevail against the church. That the very gates of hell won't prevail against the, the strategy that God has given for us to get the message out. Jesus assures us of this. So if you feel weak and ordinary, you feel like you don't have it together, you're just a mess, how could I do this? Jesus is giving you all you need. You need to look to Him. Continue to look to Him and let Him fuel you with what you need. See, Jesus is, as the Scripture says, the head of the body. Jesus is the, the cornerstone to His building. Jesus is the, the husband to His bride, the, the vine to His branches. Jesus has all that we need. And all that He asks of us, He provides for us. He doesn't send us out without properly empowering us, properly equipping us to be exactly what He wants us to be. So church, let's, let's not miss this from the risen Christ. That Jesus has come through the grave where He was laid and is now standing and reigning and ruling and sending. That He is the one who is victorious. That He is the one who is eternal. That He is the one who is powerful. And He is the one who is sending us. He extends peace to us and He sends us. He empowers us. He gets us out, but He gives us supply. He both forms us and He fuels us. And if you're here today as a believer, you are here today as testimony that, that Jesus is accomplishing His mission. You ever think about that? That there's this long arc, the plan of God that's going throughout the Scripture, and that you might be tangible evidence that God is winning? That His plan is success, successful? That it's working. That Jesus always gets His girl. The bride He comes to redeem is redeemed. That He alone can guarantee victory and this is what He has done. So may we remember as we too are sent on mission that, that Jesus is the one who sends us. That Jesus is the one who extends peace to us. That Jesus is the one who empowers us. We'll never be faithful if we don't remember that. And perhaps I think maybe the, the greatest hindrance to living on mission is not so much fear, not so much technique or strategy or, or planning, but lack of love and trust for the one who sent us. 
We need to see afresh this Jesus. Hear these words anew. Fresh ears hearing Him send us out. Renewed by the victory that He has won. Renewed by the power that He has given to us. And then sit out with fervor. We are on mission. We are missionaries. Be at peace and be sent. Would you pray with me? Father, we're privileged that you would call us sons and daughters and that you would somehow employ us in your service, that you would consider us worthy to be part of the plan to reach all of the nations, every tribe and tongue and language. We've seen in, in Revelation a couple different places that, that this victory is assured to us, that there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation there. And we're the plan to, to get that message to them so we are assured that there is victory. God, we know that the end of mission is your worship and your praise. And that's why we want to go. We thank you for giving us peace through the cross. We thank you for extending that peace to us. We thank you for sending us. And we thank you for empowering us. Help us to live on mission. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every other week or so, a couple times a month, we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of the peace that has been extended to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So His body was broken that we might have forgiveness of sins. His blood was poured out that we might have these sins washed away and cleansed. This meal is a reminder that we have peace with God. Not based on our work, but based on the work of Christ. This meal is a meal of victory. Not in our victory, but the victory we share in with Christ. This meal is a reminder of the inheritance that we receive from our chief elder brother, Jesus. And so we encourage you, if you're a believer, come take this meal. Be reminded of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal. Take Jesus instead. Believe in Him. And we'll prepare you to take this meal next time. If you don't know what that means, you don't know what that looks like, please come find one of us. Come find a Christian and ask him, how do I have peace with God? But if you're a believer... Come and, and receive what Jesus has provided for you through His body, through His blood.